You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Mother Effin' Friday, everybody. Hopefully everybody's had a great week, but now it is time to slow down and enjoy the weekend I myself because I work for a large multinational corporation. I get a three-day weekend because of President's Day on Monday. So I'm going to be celebrating President's Day by, I guess, just hanging around my house, playing with my kids, maybe doing some uh, household chores, and being at the beck and call of my wife. Um, If some people make it down for a nap, there is a chance I maybe go out and do a little shed hunting. But I doubt it. (laughs) So that's what I got to look forward to for this weekend. But I tell you what, we got a kick-ass podcast today, everybody. We're going to be talking with a guy I've known for quite a while. His name is Chris Duncan, and he is the founder of Trophy Pursuits. Uh, I'm sure most of you have seen that web show on lines somewhere at some point in time he's uh man been doing it for about seven or eight years now he also works for muddy works in their marketing department muddy outdoors and uh today man we're going to just bs for about an hour uh everything kind of kind of his entire year here's the thing though we're gonna have to get him on again because we did so much bullshitting that uh, we came up on time. So we're gonna. Ha- there's gonna be a part two of this. So today's episode, we talk about shed hunting. We talk about what he's doing this time of year. We talk a little bit about food plots. Uh, some some details about how he plants food plots. He pays for farmers to leave some of their crops up. He does a little bit of that as well. And uh, man, we talk a lot about a, a little bit about a lot. And uh, that's what today's podcast is about. He is a whitetail nut just like I am and just like you guys are. So it's a really good podcast. But before we get into today's podcast, man, I got to do a commercial for wasp archery. You know, I love wasp archery, number one, because it's just a badass product, right? It's made in America and it's built with the best possible materials. If you, you go up and you ask those guys what they're proud of, you know, like one of the guys that I've uh, talked to, Fred Doherty, uh, he works for Wasp and they're very proud on the material that they use. And they believe that the material that they use to create their broadheads is superior, which makes their product superior. I'm a huge fan of the Boss 4-Blade. It's uh, a smaller four blade broadhead and uh man i killed my two deer with it this year very very you know i i like i like the way that they flew i like the way they performed so i'm going to continue to use them so if you want to find out more information about wasp 
broadheads, visit wasparchery.com and you can receive 20% off your purchase by entering the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS, no spaces. So uh, go buy a pack of broadheads from Wasp today. Now, enough of the chit-chat. Let's get into today's BS slash Hunter Profile podcast with my good buddy, Chris Duncan. All right, everybody, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Chris Duncan. How you doing today, man? Good. How you doing? You know, I can't complain, man, other than I'm, you know, today when we're recording, it's not so terribly cold out, but, you know, you're an Iowa native as well, and, man, this winter has been cold as shit. Yeah, it's been tough. It's actually probably been one of the colder winters, but then also, I don't know about by you, but down here, it's... I don't remember a time where we had this much snow in the last yeah. like five years. Yeah. I can, I can remember years with more snow, but not in like yeah. the amount of the short period of time. Cause all of a sudden it just like dumped on us for about two weeks straight. It did. So I was in Florida for one of those weeks. So I, I escaped some <laughs> yeah. of it. Well, I tell you what, man, I'm just ready for it all to start melting so I can get out there and start walking. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I'm. We're gonna. We're trying to hold off until uh, until like the beginning of March. I got some buddies that we kind of hunt some of the same properties, and it's almost impossible for us to get our schedules to all align. Right. But I, 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 uh, I got lucky a little bit ago. Like literally two hours ago, I, I could not believe what happened. I went out to check a uh, check some of the cameras just to see how many had shut out, and I'm sitting in the truck. I, I'm not even making this up, man. I'm literally sitting in the truck going through the pictures and I look over and laying in the CRP field that's mowed like 40 yards away. I just see time sticking up and uh, <laughs> dude, it's like a, it's an awesome three point side, tons of mass, probably a 13 inch, 12 or 13 inch G2, just an absolute giant. Man. I tell you what, I've found, yeah, it's, it's I awesome. found a couple sheds like that and uh, you know, I think one of the one of the biggest sheds I've ever found. I literally stepped on it going to uh, check a trail camera, or actually take it down after the season, like a like two or three weeks after the season was over. So it was late January, and I looked down on the ground and I saw this brow tine sticking up, and I was like, man, because it, it kind of looks like a morel mushroom, and I'm like, no way is a mushroom popping up so then i stopped and focused on it and then the other tines were sticking up around it and i was like holy shit that's the biggest thing is like 74 inch side is one of the biggest ones i've ever found so and then you know awesome the, the occasional pull into the farm and there's one sitting right there kind of like what uh what you had going for you today yeah i got pretty lucky this is probably the biggest shed i find all year yeah at least the coolest shed for sure absolutely so I'm thinking today, and this is a perfect transition because you are like you're a 365 guy, just like me. Uh, but yep. you know, you you do a little bit more than me from a food plot standpoint. But I'm thinking today in our conversation, we uh, we talk high level about your entire year as you know, at, you know, for a guy who hunts whitetails in Iowa, and um, Real, really quick, what I want you to do is kind of tell everybody where you're from, what do you do for a living, and even talk a little bit about trophy pursuits. Okay. Well, that sounds good to me. So uh, I'm, I'm from South Central Iowa. I actually live just outside of Knoxville. I don't know if you know where that's at, but from Des Moines, you know, we're looking yep. at 40 minutes to the southeast. And uh been in this area pretty much my whole life, which I've been pretty fortunate because you know, when you're a local Southern Iowa kid, then especially, especially 20 years ago, you you could get access to a lot of really good ground. And at the time you really didn't know how fortunate you were, but uh, so I've been fortunate to really hunt some awesome farms over the years and get permission on some really good farms. But, um, so I, I was doing, I, you know, did what all of us do love to hunt. And it was probably, I was in, I think I was still in high school actually. And it's kind of one of those things where we like to be out in the field so much that what happened was I actually filled a tag, filled my buck tag. I think, 
think it was probably in late October, beginning of November. And then one of my good friends who hunts some of the same farms as me, he still had a tag. So he's like, I asked him, I said, man, do you care if I go like just film, film you hunting? Like I really, I have to have something to do. Right. I want to go, I want to be in the field as much as possible. So we grabbed some cheap camera, you know, and went and filmed him shoot a deer. And do you remember that, uh, I think it's still around, but, um, that real hunting and I don't oh, know yeah. if they still do the, the yep. hunts. Okay. Yeah, so Bill, my buddy, Bill Jackson started that up. Yes. Bill started it. Yep. Yeah. Bill. And then there was a couple other guys involved. Yep. And long story short, um, I don't even know if Facebook might've like just started. I don't even, I don't yeah. even think, I don't even know if Facebook was out yet, but long story short, I, I posted the, uh, the picture of Blake's buck on iowawhitetail.com back when I was, I used to get on forums all the time and, you know, I had me there with the video camera. So this Bill Jackson guy gets a hold of me and Bill, I'm actually pretty good friends with Bill now too, but he said, Hey, if, if that video is very good, if you want to send it our way, we'll edit it for you. So long story short, we gave that video to Bill and then we, uh, we kind of started filming our hunts since then. So probably 2010, we started getting really serious with it just because, we really enjoy looking back at the videos and whatnot, but um, that's about the time I started Trophy Pursuit, which you know we were doing a lot of a lot of blogs and articles, and um, I was just kind of editing offhand and learning as I went. And we had sponsors that you know we were we were getting you know just like product sponsors, nothing huge or anything. And one of them was Muddy Outdoors. Muddy used to be at the time was in Albio, which was yeah. 20 minutes from my house and I knew a lot of the guys down there. So we, uh, we were working with them and then I think it was 2013 that muddy sold to, uh, a guy named Todd Queering and he's, he, uh, so he's now the owner, but Todd actually sent me a Facebook message. I was friends with him on Facebook because he's huge into sprint car racing and being from Knoxville not sprint cars are huge here as well. So, right, right. um, he sent me a message and he said, Hey, how's the sponsorship with muddy going? or yeah, with muddy going. And I said, it's going pretty good. And he wrote, well, I, I just bought him, just bought the company last week. So I was like, Oh crap. Okay, cool. You know, and <laughs> long story short, as the year, as the, you know, the next couple of years went on, I got to know him really well. And, uh, him and I meshed really well together and the other guys from, from muddy and they saw the value and, you know, the digital side of, of video and photos and social media. So it was about two, two and a half, three years ago that they asked me to come on full time and they actually acquired trophy pursuit off of me. And, um, that's, that's how we got to where we are now. But yeah, I work out of Knoxville and I've kind of transitioned into a role now where I work in the marketing department there and it's a lot of fun. It's a busy time of year. You know, this time of year we're at trade shows left and right, oh, but yeah. it's, a, I feel pretty fortunate to have this job. Right, right. So you've kind of gotten in, you've been on a path where, you know, just, let me back up a sec. Everybody wants to be in the quote unquote hunting industry, right? When everybody starts to film, they have these, these grand ideas of, Hey, I'm going to get a television show, or I'm going to make a web show, or I'm going to start a blog and do writing. And then I'm going to get sponsors and all that stuff. But it looks like that path kind of worked for you and now you're actually working for uh, a company and you're able to you know obviously you you work for a tree stand or muddy outdoors but at the same time you get to go out and and hunt pretty much as much as you want too right i wish that was the case oh no 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 like so when I, i so i was actually a police officer for about three years and then and I, I was still doing trophy pursuit. And, you know, when you're, when I was a cop, I could take off, I'd build up enough vacation. I would take off like October 25th to November 25th, you know? Yeah. And I would not get any phone calls. I mean, I was, I was off work. Yeah. Well, then I, you know, I did the conservation, I did some conservation stuff and um, was a park ranger. And then I took this job and I kind of thought that way. I kind of felt that way, but I tell you what, like, there's I have less it's kind of crazy but I have less time to hunt now right than I had back then right man like, like that, that time of year you're that time of year we're really 
like from from my standpoint with my job we are uh, getting ready for show season yeah. so we're we're starting to plan all that stuff um all the new products that we're getting ready to release we've got to you know, have the photos of them we've got to get everything ready to go with packaging with labels um the list goes on and on but i thought that i'm like oh this is going to be awesome but that's probably one of our busiest times of the year is when we want to be in a tree now don't get me wrong like yeah, I, I can go into work and 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 still, I, I still get in the stand a lot, but uh, not as much as I used to. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay, it's like November fourth <laughs> through the twelfth or something, and I'll tell Blake, Blake. So Blake's a police officer still, and I do I do most of my filming with Blake, and I'll be like, dude, like it's supposed to be really windy on Halloween, like we just need to plan on sitting that out so I can get caught up. Yeah. So stuff like that, you know, I just got to kind of plan a little bit better. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so so do you like it? I mean, do you like the fact I love that it. okay, you love it. All right. So you're getting to hunt less, but you're getting to be a part of an industry it sounds like that you just really love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just like any job, I mean, no matter what job all of us have, we're you know, there's always things that you probably don't like as much as other parts of your job. But right. what I like the most about it is probably the freedom. Um, most of the time, most, most of the time of year, you know, it's like, okay, I got, you know, my kid has a doctor's appointment at two o'clock on Wednesday. Well, typically that's not a big, big deal. Or yeah. I get my weekends off. I was used to working every weekend when I was a police officer. So now I'm, and I was working nights. So a lot of things have changed in those regards, but overall, just like you said, I mean, I get to talk to guys like you, other people who love the outdoors, you know, a lot of, a lot of the TV shows, a lot of the guys that I grew up watching and learning from, um, outdoor writers, all kinds of guys that, that I, uh, you know, can learn a lot from and, and talk deer hunting or whatever with. And that's, I do love that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, that sounds like, I mean, it sounds like fun. It sounds like, you've kind of gotten to a point in your life where a lot of people want to be. Uh, and I, I know before we get into like the year, the deer year, talk to us a little bit about, cause me and you, man, we've shared some text messages. We've shared some Facebook messages. You know, we've talked a lot at trade shows about how difficult it is to the path that it takes to get into one of these positions, whether it's, you know, finding a job in the hunting industry or turning uh, just you and a buddy recording, you know, deer hunts to actually putting together a show and putting out a web show and putting out a website and all that stuff. Talk about how difficult that task actually is. Yeah. Uh, so looking back now, I mean, I would, if I had to do it all over again, I would, I would, I never would have thought I would have been given the opportunities that I've been given. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody says, well, it's a lot of it's about who, you know, and I mean, that's true in everything in life. I mean, right. the, the more relationships you build, but you build those relationships through doing what you're doing and grinding and, and, you know, a lot of sleepless nights. That's how you're, you know, you're building those relationships. And it's kind of interesting because it's, it's kind of funny now, but when we were sponsored by muddy when i i was doing the you know 100 percent the trophy pursuit stuff the the biggest thing that i ever got from them in, in four years was maybe a few a few free tree stands and you know a, a right. you know a 30 percent discount on some stuff so to see to go from that side to now you know managing that marketing department is is pretty crazy and it's pretty mind-blowing but i think the biggest thing that i attribute a lot of that too is just um you know just being passionate about what i do because if you're passionate then when it does get tough or or you do get a little bit burnt out then you just keep going you just keep pushing so if, if i wasn't passionate about about any of this then i wouldn't be where i'm at today and then also i'm very fortunate that i've got an awesome team of of men and women that are part of the you know, the, of muddy and trophy pursuit who yeah. really help make my job a lot easier. And they're producing some really great content and sending things my way and, and helping build that muddy brand and giving us stuff that we can use. And, um, 
I don't know. It's just a lot of different things, but I think the biggest thing is if you're passionate about something and you love it, then you just gotta, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get lucky. And, and I kind of feel like I got fairly lucky, but um, absolutely, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I, I feel very fortunate. That's for sure. Cool. Cool. Well, and it's it doesn't hurt either, Dan, that we're like living in the freaking Mecca of big right, whitetails. So right. we're pretty lucky that way that we get a hunt 160 plus inch deer too. Right. Absolutely. And that's one thing that, you know, I think I, I know I do. I take for granted because, you know, with this podcast, I talk to a lot of people from Michigan or, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, some of those high pressure states where, you know, you yeah. talk to some guys who are in their 60 year, 60s and they've never seen a deer over 140 their entire life. And exactly, you know, and then here we are on our on a yearly basis. We're passing 140s every, you know, at times every day, every day we're in the tree state. Yep. And it's just I don't know. I've, I feel thankful that I I was born in the in this great state. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're lucky that way. I have, I have a couple of buddies from Michigan and he told me that, uh, he came in, he, he draws an Iowa tag, you know, for, for shotgun season, you know, every two out of four years or three years, whatever it is. So he'll come back and hunt with me. And, uh, he told me, he's like, man, you don't realize how lucky you are. He's like back home. It's hard to get a deer past two years old. And then he goes, the ones that do, it's like, they're walking around looking up in trees for danger and it's <laughs> yeah it's the, the well one of the a guy once told me is like uh hunter's wall is a direct result of the land he has to hunt or something like that and you know that part of that's probably pretty true oh i agree i agree with that i agree with that so enough about all that let's talk about your year you know uh, what you're doing throughout the year, pretty high level. I'll ask you some detailed questions, but, um, you know, you're a nut just like I am. So, and I think right now is a great time to start, you know, with it being, you know, shed season, you know, checking trail cameras and whatnot. So just let, let everybody know, what are you doing this time of year, you know, or as far as focusing on whitetail is concerned? Yeah, so we, and I say we, you know, we, I got some pretty good friends that we hunt some of the properties and um, whatnot together. So we'll take turns checking cameras. Like, I don't know how many cameras we've got out right now, but quite a few. And I mean, we'll put a camera out on, on you know, next to a food pot and dump 100 pounds of corn in front of it and, and check them every, you know, if I can drive to them, I'll check them every week. And, just kind of monitor what deer made it through and take an inventory of what deer are, are around and, and also taking inventory of how many deer have shed their antlers. So that's, that's pretty much what we're doing right now. And just sitting back and waiting for the majority to drop and then hopefully go find them and just build some history with them. So when you're out checking your trail cameras this time of year and you see maybe a hitless buck from this past year made it through, he, he made it through the gun seasons, he made it through the, you know, the, the late archery season, muzzleloader season, whatever, and he's, he's alive, does that play any type of role, what he's doing this time of year, into how your hunting strategy going after that deer this upcoming year does, will, will that influence that at all? Maybe, maybe for some people, but I mean, for me, I really don't pay that much attention to it, to be completely honest with you. I just want to know that he's around and that he's made it and hopefully that he'll be in that area, you know, in a certain area that I can hunt and, you know, the next fall. But I, I guess personally, I don't really look a lot into, uh, you know, what they're doing or where they're at this time of year. Um, but maybe, maybe other guys do. I don't know. Why, why is that? Honestly, I just really focus in on when I'm going to kill a deer, I focus in on the time of year that I can kill them, which starts October 1st for us. And, uh, we'll obviously get to that here later, but really, I mean, I'm, I'm using my cameras I, I know that if I'm going to kill that deer, it's going to be October and November. So I really don't care what he's doing right now, because if he's there where I'm going to hunt in October and November, 
and he's hitting my cameras or, you know, maybe hitting some food plots or whatever in daylight, then that's when I'll make a move on him. But I guess I, so I, and, and I think also, uh, Dan, and maybe you've seen this too. I've seen deer for whatever reason, like really change their habits from year to year. I've seen, yeah. we had a deer that, for instance, this year we called him crossbeam. This is our third year of pictures. And we never saw that. And he was, he was probably, he was one of those deer who showed up the first time three years ago. And you're like, yeah, that thing is fully mature. Like, there's no question. Like, he's he's probably five, six years old. Right. He's old. And he showed up. And so, I guess, look, you know, from your question, for two years in a row, we hardly ever had a daytime photo of him. We saw him one time. And it was, I saw him November 13th in the middle of this thick draw with, like, two minutes of shooting light left. And then this year, it was like the deer was he, – he was walking around in daytime, like, all the time. We were getting pictures of him everywhere. We never killed him. I got close once. Uh, but um, – so I, he changed. He just changed. He changed a lot this year for whatever reason. Um, so, really, I'm just looking at, like, most recent information, what I can what I can pick up on him when I can hunt him. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, the deer that are – on the farms that you hunt for the most part do are you able to track deer like that particular buck like when they show up you have a good history of them you know what deer you're going after every year and you know like the information that you're collecting right now can you look at these pictures and go oh this uh deer you know i've i've watched this deer for two years he's not a shooter yet or i've watched this deer for four years he's definitely a shooter or you know do you have you know in your head all the deer kind of cataloged and are you that guy who likes to know every single buck that's on the farms that you hunt yeah we're and and pretty much every deer that that we've killed on the farms that we're hunting we've we've known about before we've killed them. Like right. we had an instance this, you know, this fall where Taylor killed the biggest buck of his life. And we had no idea about that deer before he killed it. I mean, that deer was 1.3 miles away. Most of the year I found out at a later date from a guy who sent me photos and it was actually the guy almost killed him the day before Taylor killed him 1.3 miles away. But yeah, for the most part, you know, like the deer that I just found that shed off of from the truck and the deer that we're getting photos of, we're seeing them, year after year and and i mean i i've actually had a deer that i had photos of and the only reason i could tell it was the same deer is it had a cleft lip like it literally had a cleft lip and i don't know if it like got i don't know if deer can be born like that or if it had some crazy injury to its to the front of its face and its lip but i had photos of it from the time it was two and a half until the time it was ten and a half oh really and that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And that thing did so many crazy things, man. Like I could show you a picture of it when it was five versus eight. And you, if I showed you like, Oh, which one of these two deer would you shoot or, you know, whatever, yeah. you, you wouldn't even realize it was the same deer. It changed that much. I mean, the thing had in its lifetime in eight years, it had, you know, kickers and flyers. It had double drops one year and the last year of its life, I assume the last year of its life because I never got photos of it again. It had a big double main beam. Wow. So it was wow. pretty cool. So pretty cool to watch how much it changed. Kind of all over the place then. It was all over the place. You know, the main beams, the main beams stayed the same, same structure and shape, but yeah. a lot of other things changed on it. Yeah. So, so then. Am I rambling too much, by the way? No, you're good, man. That's what people like. Okay. I didn't know because I kind of get off topic on this stuff. It's all good, man. It's deer hunting. Um, so, okay. So you're, you're doing a lot of checking trail cameras right now. Uh, you're looking at inventory. Um, so what happens, what, what goes through your head when maybe a deer, let's say a four-year-old that you've passed a lot this year, and this is hypothetical, you pass this four-year-old a lot and you're like, dude, I cannot wait for him. He's going to blow up into a booner next year. Uh, it's going to be awesome because, you know, you got this deer pinned and then he disappears. So what kind of goes through your head uh, when you got a, a buck where all of a sudden you thought your farm was his home and now he, he doesn't show up or he stops showing up? 
Yeah. Yeah, you're always in the back of your head. You're wondering, okay, did he did he get shot by somebody else or, you know, did he, did he get, you know, did he have a tough rut and did he die somewhere to get sick, you know, to hit by a car or whatever, you know, whatever, so many variables, but I don't, honestly, I don't get too worried about it. I really don't. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of them that I only see, I only see them during, during the rut and then, yeah. then they're gone. And I've seen other ones where they're there all year and I've got some that are there all summer and they leave. So I don't, I don't know. I, that's the type of thing. Those are the type of things that are like out of, out of my control. And if it's out of my control, then I don't, I guess I don't worry a lot about it. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's some deer that, that, uh, we passed this year that are going to be really, you know, they're going to be good deer. Like they're going to be really good deer and you hope that they show back up, but if they don't, you know, it it is what it is. Can't really do too much about it, huh? No, no. All right, so you're checking your trail cameras. Um, when do you guys actually start pounding ground and looking for shed antlers? So I'm gonna actually I'm gonna probably start walking this weekend. I'm gonna walk a lot of stuff that gets hit by other people because there's some farms that I hunt on that are permission farms that there's two or three other guys that are that are on, um, and I know they'll be out there anyway. And I think I don't know what what you're seeing or hearing, but I would say from like this camera I checked today that I bet you 75% of the bucks have dropped. Oh really? Um, at least, at least. Yeah. I'm on this cam on, on this spot where I was at today and I haven't checked cameras. This is the first camera we checked in, in like two weeks. So I talked to a few other guys, like I have a buddy that's out right now and they found 11 antlers so far this afternoon. No doubt. Yeah. But, um, I wish so you I'll didn't tell me that. Some more of those I know, and because... all the snow just melted, and all the grass is like matted down. It's a great time to go find them. Oh man, I'm gonna have to try to find it. But you're excuse. sick. You're sick. You better not be outside in the cold. Well, I won't be sick on Saturday or Sunday, and I got and I got Monday <laughs> off for President's Day. So heck, you never know what can. Oh, happen. nice. There you go. But yeah, I I think like right now a great thing to maybe do is if you got like hay fields or alfalfa fields or you know the bean corn whatever i find a lot of them in hay fields for some reason but anyways go hit those fields take a quick walk around through or if you can drive an atv or utv on it just go make some quick passes and see if you can pick anything up but typically we really get after it we try to wait as long as we can um on a lot of the farms and we'll get after you know like right around the first of march nice okay yeah because that's typically i mean there's been years before i had kids where i I started walking during every weekend or after work oh mid-february all the way to the end of march and then you know the more kids and you got a wife and responsibilities and all that crap right and then Mm -hmm. now i'm only limited to a handful of weekends so uh i'm just excited to get out and uh and do that but so you find you go out. You're doing some shed hunting, and uh, you uh, you find you find a shed. And I know you've already mentioned this a little bit earlier that you're not too concerned of what the trail cameras are telling you in uh, you know this time of year. But let's say you find a shed antler of uh, one of your hitless bucks or a, a deer that you know of in a completely random spot, like a mile down the road or in a different part of your farm that, you know, you've never seen him there before. Does where you find shed antlers influence anything uh, on how you're going to approach hunting a farm in the upcoming season? Hmm. I would say it's fairly situational. Um, you know, let's, let's, Let's say you're, you've, and a lot of times, honestly, I'll figure that out though in the fall, like where they're bedding at, and that could change between now and and the fall when I'm going to hunt them. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm guessing some people will probably tell you yes, and they'll have some reasoning behind it. But here's a prime example: like when I just look at when I'm going to kill these deer, and like let's say let's take let's take this year, like when does shotgun open in Iowa? It's like December 5th, probably. Yeah. And then and then the last the last day is the first january 10th so you got six weeks there i on one of our one of the farms that we hunt we had three food plots one was two acres of turnips and then we actually bought back some soybeans off the farmer and he had um he had 
you know, two different bean fields. Right. And, and within those six weeks, I watched those deer like hammer each one of those, those food plots differently. Like it was almost like, okay, well, for whatever reason, there's smoke in those turnips right now. And then, oh, the, the, the food plots, the sap, two acres of standing beans, it's hot and heavy and they're munching on those like crazy. And then like right now, I think they've ate all those. And now they're all like at the food plot right by the road. Yeah. So I guess if I find a shed up there by the road and those beans, this deer actually was not the one, the one, the shed I just found, like he wasn't there during the se- during the hunting season very often. He was clear in the back, but now he's forced to go up there and feed where that food's at. So I don't know, maybe, maybe some guys that find like certain sheds in a, in a certain, you know, bedding area that's really thick and they're like, okay, well this deer's bedding here right now, but I don't, some deer though, they might not, they might not bed there during the season though. Okay. All right. I don't know. I'm not, dude, I, I honestly like, maybe I just underthink a lot of things when it comes to deer hunting. I, I, I asked like for, I, I text Mark Dury because we, we work with them on quite a few things and I'll like text Mark, like, okay, well, what do you think about today? Cause the weather conditions are this and he'll give me like this really detailed message <laughs> back. And I'm like, holy crap like i never even would have thought about those things you know well i tell you maybe what, i just underthink things a little bit i think that's i don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing because i have this conversation with a lot of guys too where i tend to over overthink things right so you got a wind direction that's coming down you know coming from you know northwest it's a northwest wind i got six yep. different stands that i can go to for a northwest wind all right well what stand and then i sit there and i just think about everything instead of just going and hunting and i think uh you know in the past it's probably hindered me a little bit because i i talk myself in or out of sitting on a particular stand when i maybe i should be doing something completely different and it just kind of yep. it just kind of messes with you if that makes sense it does, and it can wear on you too. Yeah, it can, it can, it can burn you out a little bit quicker when you're. I don't know. I like where I killed my buck this year. Um, or we'll probably discuss that later, but I guess it's kind of getting brought up now. Like where I killed my buck this year, it was one of those spots where it was like a fence line that met a draw, and basically everything kind of pinched together in one little spot, and the wind was wrong for half of it. And like a bunch of people I know probably been like, dude, don't go down in there and do that. Cause how do you know that where they're going to be at? They're going to wind you over there or whatever. And I don't know. I'm kind of more aggressive probably because I don't hunt until it's like really good usually, or when I have daytime photos. So, and I jump around a lot to a lot of different places and get tons of options. So maybe right. that's what's kept me from probably not being, you know, probably not thinking as into it as much as other people, because I knock on doors and call people all the time and I've got a lot of, lot of options. So with those options, I, you know, I, I can kind of be more aggressive and it's probably caused me not to think quite as much about it, I guess. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I, I feel that my, my tree stands are, let's see, are placed aggressively, but I still overthink. So I yeah. just I need to learn. I think I just need to learn to go with the first. Like, okay, well, I got a trail cam picture of a buck here. He's on my hit list. It's the best possible option. I'm going to go sit it. Instead, I sit there and I'm just like, well, what if this buck shows up and he's working this draw and I saw a scrape here and then I'm just mm-hmm. like, the next thing you know, you're screwed and you got to make a decision because by the time you get into your stand, it's like five. You know, it's like five minutes till like last call basically and and then you're getting in yeah. late and shit and then you just kind of anyway so so shed hunting and, and then how how late into march do you typically shed hunt until they're all found or um, yeah i mean we we last year i think the last day that we went was like march 17th yeah it was like right around st patrick's day we try i try my best to walk as much as I can from, you know, like I said, the first of March until right around St. Patty's day. And it's nice. Cause I usually lose about 10 pounds and that's <laughs> much needed for me this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I get that as well. 
Um, but so, it's like one of those things where it feels like once the more you go, like you just start like getting a pile, you know, you start finding more and more and then yeah. you're like, man, I just got to keep pushing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's one right over the next hill or right around the next corner. Yeah. I will say this, that last year I walked a spot with one of my buddies and we walked it. It was probably like February 20, you know, mid twenties. And, uh, cause it was a week before the deer classic. And then the week after the deer classic, we went back and we walked the same farm again. And we were actually mainly going there because it was a new farm and we were, we were going to look for, you know, where's the good spots for stands and let's really analyze this. We didn't have as much time. And there was two sheds in this mode CRP field that were not there two weeks ago. So yeah. you go out, you know, you go out, don't just because you don't find them in a certain spot that first time, you know, if you give it a little bit more time, you might, you know, you might come up on something else again. That's funny you say that. I, oh man, this would have been like 2012, March of 2012 or 13. And I remember there's this big chunk of timber that I have access to. And I was in, I cut, I, it's, it's a really big piece. So I would break up how I walked it. Like I, a certain number of ridges, I'd walk and then I'd go back and I'd come back the next week and then walk it again. But one, that one year, I, I found the first time in week one, I found a, a shed in, in a bed. The next week I came, I found another shed in the that same bed from a different deer. And the third week, I found a shed just past the bed on a trail from a completely different deer. So r- three weeks in a row, three different uh, bucks and uh, they were all kind of in that same area so i'm sure there's places where you know i've walked and and then didn't go back and missed a handful of sheds so oh for sure and then there's times where you know you went and and you walked and and you yeah we miss them and then you find them like the year the you know the next year and yeah but yeah usually at third week of march we we kind of call it quits and then we get ready to you know, do, you know, we really start focusing on, okay, food plots. And, and as we're shed hunting, though, one of the things that I was just talking to a couple of my buddies with, I was like, it seemed like this year, late season, like I was looking at the wind and I'm like, man, I need a south wind to hunt this spot or I need a south wind to hunt this spot. And let's say that we planted or, or bought back crop on seven or eight food plots. I think every one of them but two we had to have a south wind yeah so that kind of screwed us this year so one of the things that we're we're really going to look at why we're shed hunting this year is how can we set up our food plots to be more diverse in wind directions and um that way we don't get stuck in a position that we were in this year where we didn't have as many options because they were all set up for south winds and then you know we're we're going to be walking farms and as we're shed hunting, we're also going to be discussing spots for tree stands and, yeah. and you know, yeah. different, you know, all, all those things that I know a lot of us do, but sometimes you overlook it. Like sometimes you're like, man, I really want to get a food plot there. And you do that in three or four spots. And next thing you know, it's, you look at it when the season <laughs> comes around, you're like, I just set every one of those things up with the exact same wind. And I only have so many days I can go. So right. that's one thing we're going to really work on this year. Right. So do this time of year when you're going out and you know shed hunting is also a good way to you know to scout a piece of property as well um do you ever change locations or shapes of your food plots based off of you know your your late season or or winter scouting uh i i'm i'm going yeah we'll change them and change the look the the maybe maybe the location a lot of times we'll change the shape of them or where we decide to, you know, if we have like a three acre area we can plant or four acres or whatever it may be, we'll, we'll plant it in, you know, a different way. Just, and a lot of it has to do with wind. I mean, I've seen it where, especially late season when you got a gun and you can shoot out there at 150 yards with a muzzleloader. I mean, in those scenarios, I mainly just want to set it up for wind because I can reach out and touch them. And then we've got some smaller plots that, you know, we call kill plots and that's, you know, for the early season bow and, and, uh, we'll make those typically quite a bit smaller and set those up for entry and exit and, 
and for certain wins too. So that is one thing we're going to really do this year is focus on that because, like I said, it it did not work out this year as good as we <laughs> wanted it to. I, I got a question for you, and this is you mentioned you do this buy back crops from farmers. That's something I have never done, but I want it's amazing. I love it. I so want, easy. I want to try <laughs> to. How do you approach the farmer about that? Yeah, so, you know, basically um, they're going to get X amount of dollars per acre, right, to right. to pick that crop and to take it to, the, you know, and sell it and whatnot. And so it was probably, I think we started doing this about three years ago, and I just approached this particular landowner, and I said, hey, you know, I've been deer hunting here for quite a while, and I love to hunt late season, and and uh i said is there an opportunity possibly where i could buy back some crop from you and basically you know what that would mean is you don't pick it and i said i'm willing to pay you i'm willing to pay you more than what you're going to get for picking it and just to kind of get him to be like oh dang i don't have and i basically you know you don't have to touch this you don't have to pick it and uh i'll pay you more than if you did take your time to pick it and haul it away so like this year on, on soybeans, for example, and I'm not a farmer. I don't know exactly what it would go, what an acre of soybeans would go per acre. And a lot of it depends on obviously where you're at and how good the soybeans are and all those things. But like this year I bought, um, me and my buddy split it, but we bought two, two acre plots of soybeans and I paid him 400 bucks an acre. Okay. So you think, you think, so, you know, we had $1,600 wrapped up in that, but so I split it two ways. I had 800 bucks, but I didn't have to do anything with, for, you know, inputs. I didn't have to buy the seed. I didn't have to take time out of, you know, we're all busy. I didn't take time out of my schedule. I didn't pay for fuel, you know, all those things. Right. Right. And I still got to hunt an awesome late season food plot. Right. Absolutely. So, and, and, and I'm telling you, they're way better at planting, planting fields than I am. Like, yeah, it's actually like you're buying two acres back. Actually, I don't even think they were, I think one of them was like an acre and a half, but I mean, these beans are up to my waist, and they're I, like where I just took the camera. There's still plenty of beans left, and I drove by there two days ago, and there was 45 deer out in the field. Yeah. So they're hammering it, but it's still lasting them into this time of year, you know. So it's just, I mean, it's easier for you. Do you then? So you pay them, you write them a check, or you pay them cash, or whatever, and and they just yeah. when, when they go out to combine, they leave them standing. Do you tell them like, hey, I want it in this shape? Or do they just leave, they stop it at the end of their, you know, end of their run and then stop and turn around and go back? How's that? How's yeah, it, how's what, that work? what I have set up with them is, uh, like, let's say I bought corn back before. So on corn, I actually took a mower. Like, I actually like, borrowed a tractor with a brush hog in the back. Yep. And I brush hogged, like, a square of right. what I didn't want him to pick. I brush hogged, like, you know, five rows yeah. and made a square. And I'm like, okay, everything inside of this, like, leave standing. And what I do is I use a range finder, laser range finder to get how many, to figure out how many acres. And obviously you can use, you know, you can do it on a map too. Like you can gauge it out on your, you know, whatever app you have or whatever. And it tells you how many acres. But then like when you get out in the field, I just use a laser range finder and say, okay, an acre is X amount of, or X amount of square yards. And then that's how I do it. And then for soybeans, I mark it off with, um, you know, like a, like a wooden stake or something with orange flagging and I just mark it all off and it's worked, it's worked really well. And the best, the beauty about it is, I mean, if I'm trying to plant a small two acre bean field, like down in this bottom or whatever, seems like if it's one small field, like the deer will just hammer it and it won't, they never give those beans a chance to really get tall. But if you're buying two acres out of a 70 acre field, then those deer have so much more to browse on. So then when they do, you know, when they do leave your, when they do actually, you know, leave yours and don't pick it, it's typically a lot better. Right. Yeah. Man, that's something I, th- I need to think about. But the only problem with, for me is I'm not like, I only bow hunt right now. Right. So the, yep. if I was to, and, and I have other guys who hunt the farm that I'm not, you know, I, I I'm not like buddies with them. I just, I communicate with them, but I'm not buddies with them. And the shotgun hunters is a different group that comes through. So I just feel that, you know, if I'm leaving that up, I'm leaving it up for not just me, but for a ton of other people as well. 
And I feel like that yeah. would, that would, people would take advantage of that. And then I'm, I'm not getting the full, if I had a farm to myself, I think that would be awesome. Yes. Hmm. I got one farm that we, there's another guy that, that hunts it too. Like it's like not one of he's one of my friends now, but like it was okay. He knocked on the same door I did and we were both hunting this farm and there's a few other guys that hunt it too. And him and I kind of banded together. We actually got permission to plant some, some sort or uh, we plant some turnips on it. And it's kind of crazy, but we've never had any of those other guys that hunt there, like, go sit on our food plot. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I'm, we're probably pretty lucky, but um, but the fact is, I mean, like you said, you, you don't gun hunt, and a lot of times you're probably not hunting a lot late season. You know, maybe you're tagged out before or so. In your situation, it, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more different than mine, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So food plots, right? Now, how many acres roughly of food plots are you planting throughout the, you know, the early spring all the way into the, the through the summer? Mm. And I have to, I bet we had, we bought, so we bought back those, those acres of soybeans and then we planted, I bet we planted. I don't know, 12 acres uh, of turnips this year and and then a couple acres of like a couple small kill plots of clovers or alfalfa or whatever. But um, I don't know. I bet altogether we had over 20 acres. 20 acres roughly. I gotcha. Yeah. How do you determine what you're going to plant and where you're going to plant it? So I look at every farm. Every farm's different. Um, The farms that are the, that I'm buying the crops back, I look at it like this. This one, this one guy, like I like to buy sweepings back. So this year, where we had, we're, this is let's say it's an 800 acre farm, and one time it's soybeans, and next time it's corn. And but he's got half his farm, and you know it's half and half for him. So I'll actually follow wherever he's going to plant soybeans. That's where I'll buy him back at. And then I've got the like the CRP fields that are, you know we can plant up to 10 percent of. Uh, of food and typically on, you know, on like that farm, I'll just go in and plant turnips or, um, something along those lines every year. So like when I'm hunting, I'm hunting late season gun, the deer will find the food. I, I, they will, they will be where the food's at on most of my farms. And then for my turnip plots, I like the smaller plots, I'll, I'll really hone in and pick just based on, the biggest thing is entering exit like late se- or for early season we've had a lot of really good luck early on turnip plots or gre- green plots but pl- but planting them not very far into the farm based on your access like not very far in where you don't have to go clear into it to, to get to it even if it's a you know a wide open field or like a crp field you get to walk back in there like, we're planting them up closer to the roads and maybe we only have to walk like 150 or 200 yards to get to it but it's our odds are going way up just just by doing that by staying like on those green fields that we can get to really easy early yeah Yeah. and then uh you know diving in deeper once it gets you know if we have to once it gets later in the year gotcha gotcha so is there is there a food plot that you feel is automatic or a food that the deer just absolutely love, uh, like picking one over another if they were side by side that, you know, for, for someone who's brand new to food plotting or is like, okay, this year I'm going to plant a food plot. What's a, what should they, what should they plant that you feel is kind of an automatic, like the deer are going to eat it regardless. Yeah. So early season, anything that's green, I mean, whether, whether it be, whether it be like soybeans that didn't get planted until mid June and they're still super green, not turning yellow at all. And all the other beans in the County are turning yellow or whether it be turnips or some type of brassica or whatever, um, clovers. We've had a lot of good, like I said, we've had a lot of really good luck with, with turnips, um, for early, but then if it was going to be later on in the year, um, I like after the rut, I love, I love grain. Like 
I don't get me wrong. I've killed a lot of, I've killed some late season deer over turnips, especially when it warms up and you get those, you know, 35 degree days in December. Yeah. And it seems like they hit green a little bit more, but for like our typical Iowa winter, it's just tough to beat. It's really tough to beat standing soybeans. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it kind of just goes on with, you know, the conditions and the time of year and, uh, trying to be as based on your farm and, you know, your opportunities trying to be as diverse as possible with the food that you're going to have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now I've done a poor job moving this along just because I have so many questions. Uh, so we're going to kind of speed things up just a bit, but yeah. Okay. So food plots is throughout the entire summer. Um, do you run mineral stations at all? We do, but not very much, not very many. Um, I've got some that are like very easy to access that are not even close to where I'm hunting. And then we are putting tarps and, and it looks like a freaking wood pile by the time I'm done with, it. I just don't want to risk it, you know, with the way our laws are written in Iowa with yeah. mineral and, and baiting and whatnot. I try to be more than, than careful, but yeah, we do run mineral mineral. And the, the great thing about mineral is you know, it, it's like a lot of guys are buying so many bushels of corn and putting it out to take inventory in the summer. Well, it's a lot cheaper to run mineral. I do know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can leave your camera out there a lot longer and not check it as much, but. Gotcha. So in the summertime, how do you get, uh, you know, for me, I rely on mineral to get all the deer in front of my trail cameras and so I can get an inventory put together maybe a little bit of a hit list and get to know what deer are in yeah. the area. Um, are, how do you collect that data? Right. So as it, as you know, August is mid August or maybe coming, we're getting, we're coming up on uh, September and you start collecting the pictures saying, okay, well here, this buck's back or, Hey, check out the, you know, this three-year-old, this three-year-old blew up and now he's on the hit list or mm-hmm. whatever. How are you collecting that data? So I usually start running, I'll run some cameras. I'm not one of those guys that leaves cameras up 24 seven, 365 days a year. I just don't, I don't, for me, I mean, I know there's guys love to do that, but I just don't really care about looking at a photo of a buck with like four inches of antler sticking out of his head. (laughs) So I, I will not, I typically will not run a camera until July 15th or a week after that gotcha and we do have mineral sites that have been you know been on the farms for a year you know we've been running them now for years and they're great for getting photos and um so we, we've got certain sites for that that we'll you know check once every couple of weeks or whatever but then really like from july july 25th until they shed their shed their velvet so like let's say that first week of september I'll basically pick one day a week where I will go to the co-op. I'll buy, you know, 20 or 25 bags of corn. And then the next week my buddy buys it. And the next week my other buddy buys it. I have So we split it up, but, and then we'll just go from camera to camera and we can, we put our cameras in spots that are, you know, not, not deep in cover. They're literally on like the edge of a bean field or a waterway between you know, that's, that goes down through a cornfield or whatever, but we'll just kind of spread those cameras out on a farm. If you were looking at an aerial photo of your farm and, and you know, there's no magic number I've seen, I've honestly seen it, Dan, where like there's a big bottom and there's one little ditch between two bean fields and there might only like one camera might be here. And then the other camera is literally clear across that bean field, maybe 600 yards away. And then there's that little ditch and that's like a divider. And yeah. I've had bachelor groups of bucks that are on both sides that don't go back and forth hardly ever in the summer. So if you're not, if you're running those, you know, your corn piles or your mineral or whatever else, and you're, you're not getting a photo of the buck you want or the bucks you want, and you don't have an expendable, expendable amount of cameras to so just keep throwing them up everywhere. Even moving, you'd be amazed how much, of a difference it can sometimes make moving your camera 300 yards oh yeah i mean it is crazy those bucks that time of year some of them are just on such a pattern that they're bedding in one spot they're walking you know 
getting a drink and walking out to their to the field at night and then they're coming right back and they're just not moving a lot um so that's kind of how we do it and we've got to a point now where over the years you really figure out what spots kind of pick up the most and so then you know you start getting the deer that are showing up that you're like okay this is awesome like this buck came back or okay this one's here and then that's when it really gets exciting because then you can start to kind of plan based on maybe if you have multiple years of history you can at least kind of plan on maybe where you're going to be at during the season or, Oh, well this deer leaves every year. Okay. So it's cool. We got photos of it. Maybe we'll get lucky, but this one right here, like this deer stayed here last year and he lived right here and he spent most of his time in that draw. So now we know he's around and, you know, we'll just continue to, as the, as the season progresses, monitor those cameras and then, and then figure out when to go, uh, to go hunt him if he stays there. But yeah, so we'll run the cameras and, um, and then as as they shed velvet, you know, we've got the September switch where it seems like you got some new yeah. bucks moving in, other bucks moving out. We've all seen that. And and then is that a I big switch for you? Important... Um, no, not really. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not a huge switch for me. Like, let's say I don't. I couldn't tell you exact percentage, but I don't know if I've got ten bucks on camera. Maybe maybe twenty. Maybe two. Maybe two of them or three of them might might leave. Yeah. And most of them stay though for me. Yeah. I, and I'll I get two or three new ones, but yeah, I, my switch is huge. Like my farm is stacked, yeah. is stacked in the summer. And then you've got, you've got the summer special probably. Yeah. You got like, yep. Yep. And awesome then, food for the summer and not, not in, you know, maybe not quite the cover that they want or who right. knows, but absolutely. So, so then, you know, you're starting to get, uh, you know, an idea of what deer are around, what they're looking like this year. Um, do you, is, is that when you put together a hit list? I mean, are, are you a hit list type guy or are you, you know, Hey, I'm going to judge every deer at that particular moment when he walks by my tree stand. You no, know, you won't usually have a hit list. Like, we'll, I'll say, okay, uh, maybe like after September 15th, okay, these are the bucks on my hit list. And Sometimes, you know, you'll get a new one come in, but most of the time, those, those are the deer that you're going to hunt. And really like my most important time for running cameras is September 15th through October 25th. Those are like the, that's the time that I really focus on that camera, what the picture tells me, you know, looking at that photo. And if, if he's out in that field, it's, you know, September 30th and he's out in that that field and with 10 minutes of shooting light left, you know, what was the wind direction then? You know, what was the temperature? Um, what was the, and I honestly never looked at pressures until like two years ago when I was texting Mark and he's like, dude, you need to pay attention to pressure. You need to pay attention to it. So I don't know, just looking at all those variables and then really like the wind direction is huge. And, and, um, you just kind of, you know, you get a big one that you, that you get a daytime photo of him and the next chance you get that it, it works for you and your schedule and you can go hunt him. I would get after it. We had a couple times this year where we got on deer early and it was, we, we have, we've had really good luck getting on deer early the last three years on these small food plots we plant and just monitor our cameras. And typically we'll get a mature buck that we'll find. Let's say we have eight, eight food plots, or smaller plots or whatever and maybe maybe two of the eight will have a mature buck that's kind of hitting it frequently in daylight and we've had a real and, and you got to think of it that's like that's walking in front of your camera that's not walking out 40 yards and feeding the other direction through the plot or whatever that's right in front of your camera so for all the pictures that you get of him in that food plot i mean how many did you get how many times was he in that food plot that you didn't get a picture of him either right yeah that makes um, sense yeah, so we've really we've really had a lot of luck doing that, but then we've also shot ourselves in the leg before where it's like October fifteenth and we check a camera and you know, we had a spot this year, it was like a, it was a cattle pasture, a place that honestly most people would never want to hunt and we got permission on it and we put a camera up in one spot that had like a little tiny CRP field and a little creek running through it and I checked it. And there was two shooter, two good deer, like two really nice deer, probably 155, 160-inch deer, walking past this camera um, 
in daylight on this trail going to the standing cornfield. And I'm like, actually, Taylor Riggins, the guy that had permission with me on this farm, and I was talking to him like, man, these deer are moving right now. Like, we got some good photos. And we're sitting there talking like, yeah, well, it's freaking, it's October 15th. We don't want to get in there and mess them up, you know, going back in there. And and then October 30th rolled around, you check the camera again, and we had like two or three, four days there where they were kind of on that camera, and then, and then they weren't. So I think the biggest thing I've learned from running cameras and a lot of cameras and just and having the opportunity to hunt some mature deer a good amount of mature deer is that once you get one moving in daylight that no matter what time of year it is get after him as quick as you can that's that's my opinion if, if you got him moving in daylight then it's time that's to go the big it, it's time to get after him yeah. and a lot of times we're, you know, so many of us are very hesitant to do that because we've been, it's been ingrained to us like, oh, it's October law or, oh, it's not, you know, it's not the rut yet. They're not moving as much yet. Um, the, the longer I've done this, the more I've, I'm starting to think that like that early season is such a great time if you can find one that's moving to, to kill them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chris, man, we're going to have to make this a two-parter because uh, we're coming up uh, on a hard stop here so i just want to say yep. thanks for taking time to uh to come on the podcast we'll have to schedule a, a part two type deal so we can get it you know and actually talk about the the actual hunting season so i appreciate it man no i appreciate you having me on here i really enjoy listening to to your pod i've been listening to it for quite a while and i enjoy everybody else you got on here too so keep up the good work man I just want to say a huge shout out to Chris for taking time to come on the podcast and uh, BS with me for a little bit today. I really appreciate it. If you get the opportunity and you haven't already, go check out Trophy Pursuits. I think it's just uh, if you Google Trophy Pursuits, you can find his uh, web show. Other than that, guys, thank you for listening, each and every one of you for listening. I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to Wasp, Exodus, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ozonics, Gearhead, and I tell you what, I appreciate what those companies have done for me, so please go out and support those uh, those companies because, man, you could just straight up save some money by using the discount codes that you get from this podcast. Other than that, blah, 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 huge shout out to the partners of this podcast. If you haven't already, take this time and go check out all the social media and be sure to like and follow it because there is going to be a lot more content coming here in the near future Uh, i'm very close to adding the big game western hunting rss feed podcast portion of the website and everything Uh, so that's going to be up and running we already got three podcasts up and running and uh, i tell you what guys i am uh, jacked get that launched just more great content straight up other than that man i don't know what too much to say go to itunes leave a review have a great weekend spend some time with a family if you don't have a family get outside spend some time with mother nature she'll never disappoint you and uh man if you're gonna be in the woods doing anything in a tree stand for the love of god please wear your damn safety harness. That's the business. Bye. Have a good day.